Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 82, in honor of the great Jason Witten, once of the Dallas Cowboys. And could we ever use Jason Witten right now in the red zone, which, of course, has become our dead zone? This, as always, is the undisputed. Everything I cannot share with you during the debate show that is undisputed, and have I ever been mixing it up on air on Undisputed with Keyshawn Johnson and Richard Sherman. Today, I will walk you through the single most painful Dallas Cowboy game I have ever, ever, ever had to watch that last Sunday's at Arizona. I will tell you how long-term I can't wait for Deion Sanders to be the head coach of my Dallas Cowboys and how short-term I sure wish that Cooper Rush could be the starting quarterback of my Dallas Cowboys. Then I will answer several of your questions about what I snack on, who will write the foreword to my autobiography, and if... This is the question of the hour. If I am a Taylor Swift fan, stay tuned for that. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. And I start with one of your great questions. This is Isaac from New Jersey who asks, do you pace around the house when watching the Cowboys? That's an interesting question because I don't pace around the house, but I do have sort of a man cave slash office slash weeknight bedroom. Again, I get up at two o'clock in the morning, so I, I end up doing all of my work and some of my sleep in my office slash bedroom. And that's where on two giant screens, I watch the bulk of my NFL or NBA games, as the case may be. I always watch my Dallas Cowboys on the right screen. That's always brought me the best luck. Maybe against New England, I should change to the left screen. 
because back to Isaac's question, there are times during cowboy games when I do pace around my man cave slash office slash bedroom. There are times when I change positions in said room to try to change my luck in said game. Maybe I go sit on the bed for a while. Maybe I sit with my little Maltese Hazel who always sleeps at my feet. Maybe I sit with her on the floor for a while. Maybe I pace for a while. Maybe I try a different Dallas Cowboy hat. Maybe I try a different Dallas Cowboy jersey or t-shirt. Maybe I try any and everything crazily, weirdly, bizarrely to change my luck and to unjinx my cowboys. So often there's much movement going around during the game that I'm trying to unjinx as I also tweet my brains out at my computer sporadically as the spirit moves me. But I'm here to tell you that during Sunday's game at Arizona, in which my Cowboys were favored by 12 and a half points in our home away from home, where Cowboy fans from California, New Mexico, wherever, they just take the stadium over year after year after year. It might as well be a Cowboy home game. In that stadium last Sunday against the weakest team on our schedule, so this is obviously the easiest road game on our schedule, Throughout that game, for the first time in my cowboy-loving, cowboy-watching life, I didn't move. I didn't move from kickoff to bloody finish. I didn't move. I sat transfixed. I sat comatose. I, I think I went into a catatonic state somewhere in the fourth quarter when it finally hit me right between the eyes with which I watched the right screen, we were going to lose and lose pretty convincingly to the Arizona freaking Cardinals in a stadium that we had taken over. When it was over, I usually try to post some kind of video reaction. And I, I actually tried to record a video in which I spoke and I, I couldn't speak, catatonic state. All I could do, if you can see me now, was just shake my head in the video. And I shook it and I shook it and then I shook it a little faster and a little faster until I gave myself a headache on top of the migraine that I already had from watching three hours of disaster, of debacle, of nightmare in the desert. Just so you understand where my head was, my team went to New York on opening night, actually to New Jersey, but to Giant Stadium, MetLife, 
and beat a division rival that made the playoffs and won a playoff game last year, beat that rival, the New York football Giants, 40 to nothing. Then my Cowboys returned home for the opener at home, albeit against Zach Wilson, but dismantled the Jets 30 to 10. 30 to 10. I saw the best defense in pro football. I saw the best defensive player in all the universe, 11 from heaven, Mayo Micah Parsons. I saw an offense that even though it began to struggle in the red zone, could flat out move the ball on anybody 20 to 20 yard line. Heck, I even saw a new place kicker that I dare say I trust. A kid named Brandon Aubrey out of Notre Dame who didn't even play football at Notre Dame. A kid who had never kicked in the NFL. Only the USFL and Canadian Football League. Who can just boot effortless, easy length, accurate, deadly accurate, long distance field goals as if he's rolling out of bed. You heard me on previous podcasts. This is it. This is the year. This is the defense that will carry my team to its first NFC Championship game in 27 years. At home against the 49ers after going 13-4 and in the regular season, that was my prediction, to a Super Bowl, our first since that 1995 season when the Jimmy Jerry dynasty that had become the Jerry Berry dynasty ended. 1996 Super Bowl that we won over Pittsburgh handily. thanks in part to Deion Sanders leaving San Francisco for Dallas 27 years ago. I kept saying we'll go as far as our defense takes us because our defense has led the NFL in takeaways for two years and two games. Two straight years and two games in, we were already plus seven in turnover ratio up seven in takeaways, hadn't given it away one time. And I said, my eye test tells me this is legit. This is for real. This is no desert mirage. For once, the Dallas Cowboys were not going to be fraudulent. They weren't going to be America's tease as opposed to America's team. Did I trust Dak Prescott? No, but he could game manage just enough if he could just take care of the football a little bit. The defense could carry us to a Super Bowl that I predicted Baltimore would win over Dallas. Did I trust Mike McCarthy? No, but at least he was going to try to do something to to actually show us that He had some worth as the head coach. He was actually going to call the plays. And I kind of like the gumption of that. He ran Kellen Moore out of town, all the way out here to Los Angeles to SoFi with the Chargers. 
And Mike said, I'm going to do it because he once did it at a very high level, albeit with Aaron Rodgers, 13 years ago in Green Bay, Super Bowl, they won together. Mostly Aaron, but some Mike. So I thought, okay, I'm good with that. My defense will rise above Dak's deficiencies and Mike McCarthy's frailties. Or so I thought. So it was last Thursday after Undisputed, right here on the Fox lot. I bolted out. I'd had a long, hard week. I try to get away on a Thursday if I can. And I go out to Brentwood Country Club where I belong here on the west side of Los Angeles, not far from where LeBron lives. And I try to play nine holes of golf. If it's moderately not crowded, and on that Thursday a week ago, wasn't too crowded. So with my dear friend, Ryan Davis, We loaded up and went to play nine holes. Played the back nine because it was less crowded. And we faithfully got to the 15th hole at Brentwood. It's a par three. I will never forget this. It's a very difficult green to hit for anybody, but especially for me. I usually shoot around 85. I'm somewhere around. If I make some putts, I can threaten to break 80. If I don't, I can threaten to break 90. 15th hole. I usually, there, there's so much sand around the green that I actually lay up on a par three, lay up close to the green, but I, I like to just pitch it over the front bunker, see how close I can get, and maybe make my 10, five-foot par putt. So I'm about to hit my pitch, and my friend Ryan Davis is glancing at his phone, and he looks up and says, do, do you know about Trevon Diggs? 15th fairway, par three. Do you know about Trevon Diggs? And I stopped cold and said, no, what? Ryan says, he's, he's out. I said, you mean out for Sunday? He said, no, he's, he's out for the year. I said, that's impossible. He said, no, he tore his ACL in practice. He what? Impossible. No, it's got to be wrong. That's what the story says. I, I don't know. He says, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings, but that's what, I think it was ESPN, I think it was Adam Schefter reporting, tore his ACL in practice. I was devastated. I hit my pitch into the sand. I hit my sand shot over the green into the far sand above the green. I ended up making a triple bogey. I was a wreck. Trevon Diggs is the igniter for my defense. He is the ball hawk receiver actually playing cornerback because he, by trade, he was always a receiver, went to Alabama as a receiver, but then learned to play cornerback and can mirror receivers, gamble on receivers' routes, jump said routes, and if he gets his hands on the football, it will stay in his hands. 
he was the emotional leader of the defense. He's not as good as Micah, an overall impact, but he was the tone setter for the takeaways. He's made two straight Pro Bowls, and with Stephon Gilmore, Jerry stole from Indianapolis for a fifth-round pick, as the bookend corner, the textbook corner on the other side, the older corner who plays more with his head than his body at this point, it's the perfect one-two punch where I'm thinking I got the best cornerback tandem in football. But this defense fed off Trevon Diggs' playmaking. Do you remember the play in the opener? I, I thought it was a catch and a fumble, but Trevon Diggs blew up Saquon, just blew him up as he was a he, he actually caught the ball. I thought it was a catch, and then he got hit, but whatever. Trevon Diggs made the play. The ball popped up, and Deron Bland took it in for the pick six, which was actually just a scoop and score fumble. But the point was, that was about Trevon Diggs. Much of this defense, psychologically, emotionally, is about Trevon Diggs. I was devastated. I was crushed, and I believe Everybody on that defense felt the same way I did. And then I look up as game time is nearing, and I realize, well, wait a second, Tyron Smith is not going to play at Arizona, and Zach Martin is not going to play at Arizona after he tweaked an ankle against the Jets. And Tyler Biotish, the center, is not going to play at Arizona. That's three-fifths of the offensive line is not going to play. It felt like, I don't know this for a fact, but it felt like Tyron Smith and Zach could have played if they'd really felt they needed to play. But they didn't. Tyron dressed, but just watched. Zach Civies watched. Beatish Civies watched. Biotish is a very good player, underrated. For a while, I wasn't on board, but the more I read about pro football focus, liking him, I came around on him because he's very smart, savvy, tough, maybe not the most talented center in the history of the world. Maybe not Creed Humphrey, who went to University of Oklahoma playing for Kansas City. That was a steal by them. But he is the general of that offensive line. He makes the calls, and, and they were going to miss him at Arizona, not to mention missing two first ballot Hall of Famers. Up in age, I know, but still both playing at a very high level when they choose to and need to, not Arizona. So remember my mindset as I turn on the game. I have no trepidation. Usually, I'm a bundle of nerves. Usually, I tell my wife, Ernestine, she says, you want lunch before a game that out here, it's a 125 game, obviously 425 in the East, but we're out here in LA. You want to eat? Because I always run early Sunday morning. I run hard. It's my hardest day. Drink a protein shake. But by noontime, you want some lunch? No, I'm too, I, my stomach's too nervous. I can't eat. 
I'll eat after the game. No, I was fine. I ate lunch before this game. I ate lunch before a Dallas Cowboy game. Stayed down just fine. Felt good, tasted good. Way to go. I'm cruising. 40 to nothing, 30 to 10, Super Bowl, here we come. Ernestine asked me, is this a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. It's just taking care of a little bit of business in Arizona before we deal with Belichick and then at 49ers and then at Justin Herbert out here in LA. Just got to take care of a little bit of business. So Arizona takes the football. It's Joshua Dobbs. He's 0-4 as a NFL starter. They got to see him last year at Tennessee. He played pretty well in that game on that Thursday night. Not bad. Smart. Gutsy. Talent challenged, but, but not bad. But he's Joshua Dobbs. They replaced Colt McCoy with Joshua Dobbs. Six of one, half dozen the other. Just trying to hold it down until Kyler Murray is ready. And all of a sudden, Joshua Dobbs is looking even better than Kyler Murray ever looked. In that opening drive, I look up and I say, wait a second. They're moving the football at will. What are we doing? Finally, we held third and three at their 22. Our old friend, Zach Ertz, took the pass. He could only get a yard. They had to kick a field goal. And I'm thinking, okay, so they're up three, nothing. But something began to eat at my psyche that just my eye test is telling me it looked like Arizona was playing much harder and much more confidently than I anticipated. And it certainly looked like my defense left its psyches back home. And I'm starting to wonder, is it possible that defense could not pick itself up off the psychological mat in time for this game that I'm sure everybody in the locker room thought was a cakewalk, was a stroll through the desert? Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, well, we don't need to play. Message sent in the locker room. Just roll our helmets out there with the star on the side. They'll fold. Cowboy fans will take it over, scream them into submission. We got this. Hmm. Okay. Dallas has the ball. And I'm sitting watching. I'm not moving. And it's third and six, and... Terrence Steele, our right tackle, false starts. Huh. And then we turn right around on third and 11, we have a delay of game. Wait a second. And then on third and 16, Dak completes a one-yard pass to Rico Dowdle, and we punt. And I'm saying, that didn't look good. That looked completely unfocused. That looked like a team that just didn't show up. And then I start to fret and sweat about Mike, as I call him, McQuandry, not McCarthy, Mike McQuandry. He is my worst nightmare. He is the single worst motivator 
in the National Football League, and he's got to be historically bad as a motivator if you watch the Cowboys a couple of years back on Hard Knocks. It was embarrassing to watch Mike McCarthy address the football team. Those guys have to be looking side-eyed at each other like, really? Lame, cliched, completely unconvincing. No commanding officer in Mike McCarthy that I can detect. So it's starting to hit me that it was up to Mike McCarthy to get this team ready in the pregame locker room for what was turning into a dangerous opponent. It was up to Mike McCarthy to say, look, Trevon Diggs ain't walking through that door. We got to suck it up, take it up another level and take care of this business at hand. We need to go out and punch them right in the mouth and hope they fold. But we have to do it first. We can't do it second. If, they, if we let them punch us in the mouth, it's going to be a long day out in the desert. And was it ever? Dak Prescott, I've said many times, I don't think he's a natural-born dynamic leader. I think he's a good guy. I think everybody really likes him. I don't think people gravitate to him. I don't think they follow him into battle. They enjoy going to battle with him, but not behind him. It was up to Dak to get the offense ready to, to punch them in the mouth first, go take a 7-3 to three lead, and all of a sudden, the penalties start to mount. And before it was over, it was 13 penalties for 107 yards. That screams not ready to play. What's been my biggest issue with Mike McCarthy? How many times has this team come out flat, flat as the desert? Remember the home playoff against San Francisco two years ago? It's, it's a home playoff game. At that point, Dallas was a little better than San Francisco. They were about to arrive. I got you. I get you. I give it to you. But we were a little better. We were favored at home that day. And we came out as flat as Texas, uninspired, deadheaded. And San Francisco didn't just punch us in the mouth. They punched us in the stomach, the ribs, pretty much punched us in the groin, if you want to know the truth, and beat us down on our home field. So here we were again. Not a playoff game, but a game that counts. It's one of 17 games. It counts, and it counts psychologically in that, as Dak said after the game, you guys put us on top of the world. No, you guys put yourselves on the top of the world because you were that good against the Giants and the Jets. That good. Here comes Arizona again. I'm sitting in my ergonomically correct chair and I'm transfixed because Arizona goes 18 yards and then pass interference on the new Trevon Diggs, Jerron Bland, and then 20 yards and seven yards and 10 yards, and then a five yard touchdown by James Conner. And I look up and it's nine to nothing 
home team. Huh. We go get a field goal. And then here they come again, and they go seven yards, 12 yards, eight yards, defensive holding. Rondale Moore, wait, isn't he a receiver? He lines up in the backfield, and before I know what's happened, he has taken a handoff and broken loose for 45 yards and a touchdown, and it's 15 to three. And that's when it hit me for the first time, the first wave of sheer fear. We're going to lose to the Arizona Cardinals in our home away from home game. We are going to lose the easiest game on our schedule. And I'm thinking that that's impossible. But no, it was, it was starting to manifest right before my very eyes. And I could not move. I was getting sick at my stomach to the point that it felt like inexorable fate. It felt like not meant to be for us and meant to be for them. And I couldn't move. I couldn't change my jersey or my T-shirt or my hat because deep down I knew nothing was going to work today because my Cowboys, thanks to Mike McQuandry and Dak Prescott, had failed to show up. Third quarter, it's finally a, just a flash of light, of hope. Cavante Turpin broke loose on a punt return. I'm thinking, okay, okay, finally, maybe we can right this wrong. Maybe I can have a shred of dignity when I arrive for Undisputed Monday morning. And he's running, and he's running, and he's running all the way down to the 23-yard line of the Arizona Cardinals, and I think, back in business. Here we go. We're down 21-13. We can at least cut it to 21-20, and we'll be right there. We will seize control. And I look up, and there's a flag on the field. And I'm thinking, what? It's the kid Harper from Oklahoma State. It's pretty good. They got him in the sixth round. I thought it was a good pick. I always liked him at Oklahoma State. Played hard, made plays. He made the wrong kind of play. He grabbed, he held. Didn't seem to affect the play that much, but they called it. And all of a sudden, we're pushed all the way back to our 22-yard line. What? And yet, here we come. Here we come. We're moving the ball. We move the ball all day. Moved it between the 20s just great. We get it all the way down to fourth and three at the four-yard line. We're down 21-13 at this point. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. And Mike McCarthy says, I'm going for it. And I immediately tweet, I don't have a problem with this. You just better have the right play. I don't have any problem with these fourth down gambles. As long as you have a play in your back pocket that you have practiced all week that you love against this defense, it better be the right defense at the right time. And you better execute the play just the way you did in practice. But if you've got one that the quarterback loves and maybe his receiver or his running back love, I'm good with it. Go for broke. 
just don't go broke. And the play in question is, is a non-play. It's a bust of a play. It's dead in the water from the snap. Dak looks and nobody's there. I, I don't even know what it was. I think he was trying to get the ball to CD and then he kind of moves to his right out of the pocket and CB, CD redirects, tries to uncover and go back across the end zone. And Dak winds up just sort of flinging it to nowhere. It just hits the ground in the middle of the end zone. Has no chance of being caught by CD or anybody else in a cowboy uniform. I'm thinking, what, what was that? All of a sudden, Dallas is going one for five in the red zone. That's after two of six against the Jets. That means three for their last 11 in the red zone. It just won't cut it. You're going to lose games because you can't cash. Field goals, especially in a game like this, in which you're up against it, won't cut it. Dak on Sunday was two for nine throwing the football in the red zone. Just won't cut it. Mike McCarthy showed me next to nothing in the red zone. I shouldn't say next to. He showed me nothing in the red zone. No Kellen Moore. No creativity. No sleight of handoff. No Andy Reid. No Mike McDaniel. No, oh, wow. Two adjust through a no-look pass, a shovel pass that scored. I, I saw none of that on Sunday from please drop the mic, McCarthy. And I, I'm catatonic because I know what's happening. I know I can't stop what's happening. And it's just going to happen whether I like it or not. So we cut it to 21 to 16 on a, with a field goal. And I look up and on the very next play, the kid from Stanford, Michael Wilson, just gets loose. He's just uncovered. And he's running and he's running and he's running. And I'm saying, we just lost. And I'm thinking, it looks like single high safety. It, it looks like everybody's man except for Malik Hooker. And somehow nobody takes Michael Wilson and somehow Malik Hooker goes the other way. And I immediately tweeted off the top of my head, Malik hook line and sinker because he took the bait and went the wrong way. I still don't understand this, but Dan Quinn, our defensive coordinator in his Monday media session defended Malik hook line and sinker defended him and said that was not his fault on that play. Okay, well, help me out here. Then somebody had Michael Wilson man, I guess, up near the line of scrimmage in more press-type coverage and just blew, completely blew the assignment and went with the wrong guy. I don't know what happened, but that can happen if you're the best defense in pro football. The Cowboys needed a stop, and Arizona got a start, a restart. And here they went again. I skipped over the throw. There was a play, corner of the end zone, a throw to C.D. Lamb. C.D., you just have to go up and snatch it. You're that good. You're that beastly. Instead, he didn't fight for the football. He fought for the call. He immediately turned to the ref like, 
yeah, aren't you, aren't you going to grab your flag and throw it and save me and take me off the hook here? Nope, no, no. It was a later throw to Gallup by Dak that was woefully underthrown. Corner of end zone should have been pass interference, but it wasn't, but it wouldn't have changed the outcome or the fate. And then finally, it's third and five at the six with 3.05 left. Another red zone opportunity, and Dak throws it to an Arizona Cardinal, one of three who were in coverage at that point around Dak's intended target. Any one of three could have picked the ball off. I have no idea why Dak went there with the football, but it looked like the pass was intended for an Arizona Cardinal, and that was that. Comatose, catatonic. Oh, there's the Dak I know and don't love. Yeah, there's that guy. I sat back looking at the stats staring at me. The box score. James Conner had a long of 26 yards. Joshua Dobbs had a long of 44 on a read option keeper. I mentioned Rondale's 45. I mentioned Michael Wilson's 69. I looked at yards rushing for Arizona, 222 yards rushing. I looked at no takeaways for Dallas. Dak had the one turnover. I looked at only two sacks, just one by Micah for that big D defense that was a lowercase d, as in defeated on Sunday. I tried to see the positives. We had 416 yards of offense. That'll work. They had 400. We had 35, I'm sorry, 26 first downs to their 20. Okay, thank you. We kept the ball for 35 minutes to their 25. Yeah, but they were scoring so fast, didn't really matter, right? And I'm thinking, these were the Arizona freaking Cardinals. I, I remind you, at Tampa in last year's playoff game that sent Tom Brady into the night, into the sunset at night. We held them to 52 yards on 12 carries. At San Francisco, we held San Francisco to 113 yards on 32 carries. 32, that's 3.5 a crack. Christian McCaffrey, unstoppable that he can be. 10 carries for only 35 yards. At Giants, opening night this year, we gave up 108 yards rushing, but on 28 carries, that's 3.9 a crack. I can live with that because you can win with that. Saquon, 12 for 51, caught three for 12. No, no, we're good with that. Jets, 64 yards rushing on 16 tries. Brees and Dalvin combined for eight carries for 16 yards. And then that happened, 222 at Arizona, and it's just, they were comatose. They were catatonic. They simply weren't ready to play. They're so much better than that. 
But I just sat there shaking my head thinking, how could this happen? I was, I was just dumbfounded. I still am. Dumbfounded, thunderstruck, gobsmacked, blindsided, astounded, haunted, baffled, numb, ultimately numb. We lost the easiest game on our schedule. And I'm thinking, in, in just three days and then three hours, we went from Super Bowl, here we come, to Desert Mirage. It, that's what happened. Three days from Thursday when I first heard out on the golf course about Trevon Diggs. Three days and then three hours out in what they call the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix. For us, it became the Valley of the Sun with a K on it. Valley of the Sunk. We felt sunk. I, I usually love to come in on a Cowboy Monday, even after a loss, and fight for them, defend them to the death. I mean, we were down three offensive linemen. Tony Pollard actually had a pretty good game. 123 yards on 22 carries. That'll work. But we had 113 yards in penalties, and we didn't take the ball away one time. And I went to bed on Sunday night trying to revive myself, and I just laid there staring up at the ceiling. And after a while, the only thing that finally put me to sleep were visions of Deion Sanders dancing on the ceiling. That's what I saw, visions of Dion, because he's my only hope. Jerry Jones, at some point, fairly soon, has to go get Deion Sanders. Jerry spoke glowingly of Dion. I said on this podcast a few back, I didn't think Jerry would be able to share the stage with Dion. I take it all back. Now it feels like Dion is my only hope. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Which brings me to my next question. This is Patrick from Marietta, Georgia. How soon is too soon for Trey Lance? Jerry did another good thing draft free agent wise. He went out and he traded. Actually, he stole Trey Lance. I'm still a big Trey Lance fan. I believe in his long-term future. But Patrick, I got to tell you that by Monday, close of show on Undisputed, all I could think of was Cooper Rush because Cooper Rush is still miraculously a Dallas Cowboy. I thought somebody would give him a big new deal to be their starting quarterback. Tony Romo predicted 
during a CBS game last year that Cooper Rush would get paid, that somebody would say, that's our guy. I assume nobody paid him except Jerry to be the backup. Trey Lance is the distant future. Cooper Rush should be the now. I'm going to say it again. Cooper Rush last year ran the offense more effectively and efficiently and consistently than Dak ever has. He's not as talented as Dak. He doesn't have quite the arm Dak does. But Cooper Rush has plenty of arm. He's got one of those Brady Montana-like arms that just work. Plenty enough velocity because it's so accurate. And just allow me again, I take such abuse on Undisputed from especially Keyshawn Johnson, who has no use whatsoever for Cooper Rush. I'm going to remind you, going back two years ago now, that fateful Sunday night after, ironically and fittingly, the Cowboys' survival at Belichick the previous week. Dak to CD in overtime for the walk-off touchdown to beat Belichick and Mac Jones up in Foxborough. Dak on that final throw planted and went Joe Burrow. He pulled his calf. And all of a sudden, Cooper Rush pressed into action at Minnesota on a Sunday night. Vikings were hot at that point. And all Cooper Rush did in his first NFL start on the road on Sunday night football was go 24 of 40 for 325, two touchdowns, did throw one pick. But he walked it off to Amari Cooper from five yards out with 51 seconds left to beat the Vikings 20 to 16. It was a miraculous performance. And then, followed by coming into last year, Dak busts his thumb against Tom Brady and company in the opener, the loss. Dak stunk in that game. And all of a sudden, pressed into service once again is Cooper Rush. This is against Cincinnati on Sunday night football at home. Cincinnati at home, but they're the defending AFC champs and the near Super Bowl champs. And all Cooper Rush did was go 19 of 31 for 235. Had a QBR of 57 in that game, while Joe Burrow had a 36. I'm sorry, I got this backwards. I got uh, Cooper Rush had an 86 QBR to Joe Burrow's 57. So he outplayed Joe Burrow convincingly in that game. Remember that last drive against Cincinnati that night? Cooper Rush reminded me of Tom Brady in the Super Bowl against the Rams in his first Super Bowl. Cooper Rush goes, 8-yard completion, 12-yard completion, 10-yard completion. All of a sudden, I look up. They got a 50-yard field goal to walk it off, and Brett Maher makes it at the buzzer. Cooper Rush wins. At Giants the next week, Monday night football. These are big stage, big pressure games. Cooper Rush When the Cowboys fell behind 13 to 6, thanks to Saquon busting loose for a 36 yard touchdown, all of a sudden Cooper Rush says, No, I, I got this. In the next two series, Cooper Rush against the Giants up there goes 12 of 13 for 129 yards in just two series. 
12 of 13 for 129 and a touchdown. And all of a sudden, Cowboys go back-to-back touchdowns, take over the game, and never look back. Cooper Rush that night, 21 of 31 for 215. Cooper Rush was very good against Washington, good enough against the Rams when it was about the run game taking over and the defense. And then Cooper Rush did struggle at Philadelphia early, but then he he shook it off and he got back in rhythm. All of a sudden, you look up early in the fourth quarter and it's 20 to 17 Philadelphia. It's not a route. It's 20 to 17. We just need one stop from the defense and Jalen Hurts did exactly that game what he did the other night on Monday night at Tampa. Remember, it looked like Baker Mayfield was about to storm back with another Baker-esque rally in the fourth quarter, and Tampa couldn't get the ball back from Philadelphia. The last 9-22 of that game, Jalen Hurts just kept converting third and fourth downs and ate the whole clock up. Nine minutes and 22 seconds, Baker never saw the football again. Same here. Jalen goes 75 and 13 plays, kept converting third down after third down after third down. They reseized the lead, and that was that. But I thought Cooper redeemed himself in that game. Cooper Rush would have won Sunday's game at Arizona. Book it, trust me, would have won at Arizona. He would have made three or four little plays that would have looked like big plays in hindsight, in retrospect. Cooper Rush just makes more plays than Dak does. Dak more spectacular. He'll put up bigger numbers. But Dak went two for nine in the red zone, and Cooper Rush wouldn't. He he would have made a couple of those throws that had to be made on time that would have saved the day. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Which brings me to the next question, James from Oakland. The next three games are against Patriots, 49ers, and Chargers. Cowboys going 0-3? No. No way. I'll admit I'm wounded. You can hear it in my voice. I'm stung. I'm, I'm burned. But I haven't given up the ghosts of the Cowboys just yet. Without Trevon Diggs, it's hard for me to stick with my prediction of get to the Super Bowl. He's just too important to the defense, and I I fear that their spark plug is gone. I I fear that that their, their energy will be drained just enough by Trevon Diggs' loss and his the, the playmaking that he would have provided that I, I can't go Super Bowl. I'll still say they get to the NFC Championship game and lose that, the first NFC Championship game in 27 years. But Trevon Diggs is a significant 
make it monumental loss psychologically and physically to the defense. But we will beat the Patriots. We'll lose at San Francisco because I predicted they would before the year. San Francisco is just playing at a higher level than Dallas. Even with Trevon Diggs, I believe they would have lost that game. But we will bounce back after that, and we will come out here to SoFi and beat the Chargers. Again, I'm, I'm hoping, trusting that Tyron Smith, Zach Martin do play, that Biotish can get over whatever ails him and that he can participate sooner than later. Although our backups, as bad as they were supposed to be, were pretty good. Again, 416 total yards at Arizona. I, I can live with that because I can win with it. But this brings me to my age-old theory about a team that I wrote three books about, a team I have covered since I moved to Dallas to become a prodigiously young columnist at 25 at the Dallas Morning News, a team I've covered since 1979. I know how this works. When you're stuck with a Mike McQuandry as your head coach slash motivator, you need external motivation. And the media always provides it for my Dallas Cowboys. You can laugh, scoff at this theory if you must, but it always prevails. And it's so, so dead on true for my Cowboys they do become fat cats. As Dak said after the game, you guys put us on top of the world, but we knew who we were. That's really a positive and negative quote because he's saying we weren't nearly as good as you said we were. No, you, you, you were that good, Dak, on defense until you just no-showed. But the point is that the same national media and local media that put the Dallas Cowboys on top of the world, will now destroy them, will now say they were nothing but overrated frauds, and it will pierce the pride of the Dallas Cowboys, just the way it pierces my pride on Undisputed. It, it will punch the deepest button in their psyches, and they will say, oh yeah, watch this. I am not afraid of Bill Belichick. It's the same Belichick who, without Tom Brady, is now 61 and 74. Think about that. He's 13 games under 500 as a head coach without Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. I'm not afraid of the prodigal son returning to see his man Jerry at Jerry World. I'm talking about Ezekiel Elliott, who ranked last year by Pro Football Focus 39th among running backs. He had a nice game the other day. He had 15 carries for 80 yards against the Jets as he prepared himself to peak in time for his return to AT&T Stadium, Jerry World. I'm just not afraid of this Zeke. Too many collisions, taking too much out of his body. He basically, quote-unquote, died for the cause in Dallas. He tried to run through too many brick walls and started just running into nothing but brick walls and bouncing backward 
one yard in a cloud of dust. How painful it has been or was for all those years, the last three, four years to watch Zeke in Dallas. I'm happy for him. I hope he has a decent game, but I don't fear him at all. Belichick's aura has worn off. I don't even think his own players look at him on the sidelines and think we got Belichick and you don't. It's still Mac Jones at quarterback. You can say I'm still delusional. But I believe we will rise up because we're just better than New England. And thanks to the national and local media, we will be ready to play. We will be extremely motivated by the savage criticism that has been aimed at the Dallas Cowboys this week. So delusional as I might be, I say that in Phoenix, we rose like the Phoenix on Sunday evening as we went to the team plane to return home. We rose like the Phoenix and we will rise back into a very good team that will be four and two entering its bye week and still be good enough to win the division, to win a home playoff game and a road playoff game and get to the NFC championship game. I am not giving up what looked like a bunch of ghosts on Sunday at Arizona. All right, enough about my Dallas Cowboys. My head hurts just talking about them. This is Fergie from Austin who asks, completely off topic, and I love it, you're on a long road trip and you need to stop for gas. What snack at a gas station convenience store are you buying? It's an interesting question. Once upon a time, back in the dark ages, in which nobody was enlightened about what you put in your mouth and swallow into your stomach, there was nothing at any convenience store that I would have put in my mouth. That's why I learned early on, as I changed my diet and my fitness routine for the long haul, I learned that on long road trips, you have to bring your own. You, you have to take whatever you need to eat because you're not gonna find it at a convenience store. Times have changed. The enlightenment has occurred to where now, at a convenience store, you can buy Nature Valley granola bars. My favorite are peanut butter. I don't recommend a steady diet of them, though I do have at least one of those every day. I think they're good for your digestive tract. It's, it's what you would call, what the dietitians call a better bad choice. They're not bad. They're not great, but they're not bad. But I would definitely, in a pinch on the road at a convenience store, eat a Nature Valley peanut butter granola bar. Most of them now have pure protein bars or even the bars that I eat the most, Quest bars. You can actually find those often in those, you know, 7-Eleven type convenience stores at a gas station. Anymore, sometimes they have bananas, they have apples, so it's, it's much easier than it used to be. But this brings me to the key to my fitness. When it comes to what you put in your mouth, you are what you eat. 
So you must plan what you eat. It's essential. It's, it's how I program my life. I plan what I'm going to eat. I often bring it with me. Everything here at Fox, I bring with me. Everything, I bring it in my little bag every morning. That I, and I've planned it out. I'm going to eat that or drink that at that moment and that then and this then. The prep for this podcast that I did, I'm doing now after Undisputed. I know exactly what I'm going to eat to get me through, to get home. I'm going to lift weights when I get home. And then I've got my meal plan for tonight. I've, I've got it all planned because you have to plan ahead or you will fail. Too many times in the business I'm in, there's a media buffet. You have to plan. You have to think ahead. If, if you know about the buffet, I'm only going to get this and this. I can't just go in and wing it because if you wing it, you'll lose, or I should say you'll gain as in weight. It, it doesn't matter. Thanksgiving, Christmas, road trip, you have to plan it. If it's your Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to eat two servings of turkey, but then I'm going to stop. One serving of dressing, and then I'm going to stop. I'll eat some of the cranberry, but I'll, I'll only do a couple of spoonfuls. Or what, whatever it is, you just have to make a plan and you have to stick with your plan. Because if you don't, if, if you allow your, your nutrition to be planned by chance, you'll fail miserably because you'll suddenly realize, oh, I'm, I'm really hungry now. Oh, look what they're, I could, I'll just eat that. Okay. And you'll wear it. You eat it, you're going to wear it. You are what you eat, so plan what you eat. Long road trip, buffet, out to dinner. What's the restaurant? Think it through. I'm going to get that, and I'm going to stop with that. And if, if you're going to have a dessert, fine, but maybe make a plan. I'm going to order that dessert, but I'm only going to eat half of it this time. Make a plan for your life. That's all, just for your life. This is Clay from Ohio. Whew. Who would you want to write the foreword for your biography? That is a deep, difficult question with an obvious answer, but I'll throw out off the top of my head a few choices before I get to the obvious answer. As I'm taping this, my brother Lil Wayne is celebrating his birthday, his 41st birthday. He's about to be on his way up to Green Bay for the Thursday night game, Detroit at Packers. As something of a birthday present to himself, Jordan Love is playing very good football. I don't think Packer Nation, which includes Lil Wayne, is missing Aaron Rodgers that much. But all I know about this man, Dwayne Michael Carter Jr., all I know about him is no human on earth would I rather sit and talk life or sports with than this man. No human outside my wife, Ernestine, would I rather sit and talk sports 
sports and life, life and sports with. And in some ways, I would include Ernestine in that because there are places I go with Wayne that I don't even go with her. It's just a connection that we have. He gets me. I know he loves me. I know I love him. So he would certainly be a primary candidate for this. So would my agent, Nick Kahn. Been with him a long time. He's now running WWE at the highest level, still representing me. Thank you for that, sir. But nobody outside Wayne and my wife understand me better than Nick does. But his is more understanding me in the context of what I do for a living. Nobody gets me better professionally than Nick Khan does. I should also include in this my, my oldest friend, my lifelong friend, my dearest friend from Oklahoma City, Craig Humphreys. He's now a radio legend, sports talk radio legend, the hump man. So proud of all that he has done. He's been with me from start to finish. Best man in my ill-fated first wedding as I was the best man in his ill-fated first wedding. Been through a lot together. He loves me for me, accepts me for me. I've never missed a summer since seventh grade that I haven't played golf with Craig Humphreys, a candidate. I must mention my man, Stephen A. Smith. I do love him like a brother. Sometimes we fight like brothers, but I love him till death do his part. I believe in him. I miss working with him. I miss being around him on a daily basis. So gifted at what he does. When you go to battle with somebody as many times as we did, you just get closer and closer. I've never been any closer to anyone in this business than I have to Stephen A. He would definitely be a candidate for this. So with the man who runs this network, I've been with him for a long time, Charlie Dixon. Nobody has ever gotten me on television better than Charlie has, understood me better on television than Charlie has. We've been through a lot, still going through a lot, will go through a lot. He would be a candidate, as would my friend Billy Bob Thornton, the actor, the writer, the director, creative genius. We've had a lot of deep discussions about life and creativity. He knows my heart on that level as well as anybody does. He would certainly be a candidate, which brings me to the obvious answer. My wife, Ernestine, she has stood by me through thick and a whole lot of thin. Trust me, a whole lot of thin. Nobody will fight harder for me than my wife, Ernestine, almost to a fault. 
She fights so hard for me, sometimes she drives even me crazy. As loyal as the night is long. Never known anybody like her, and she would definitely be a candidate for this. As would finally my daughter Hazel, my little six-year-old Maltese, my constant companion. If Hazel could talk, if Hazel could write, I just might let her write the foreword to my autobiography because she sees me the way nobody sees me. She watches me watch my Dallas Cowboys. She sees me at my highest and my lowest. Hazel really, really gets me. I love you, Hazel. Which brings me to the final question. This is Vin from Chicago who asks, are you a Taylor Swift fan? Obviously, this is an extremely topical question because it sounds like, from a distance, that Travis Kelsey is entering into some kind of relationship with Taylor Swift. I don't know any details, but it sounds like it to the point that I read that Travis's jersey sales up 400%. They're probably up 10,000% by now, by the time you absorb this, because nobody in entertainment is hotter right now than Taylor Swift. So am I a fan? That's an interesting question. Because I must tell you, I have tried to become a fan of hers. She is so huge that I finally said, what is happening here? What is the appeal? What is the deeper connection? And so I've tried and tried and failed and failed to like Taylor Swift's music one of her hottest songs, Anti Here. I tried it the other night. I, I tried it, I listened to it about three times and I just said, you know what? I, I can't explain it because how do you explain your musical connection to somebody? But somehow her music does not click with my internal rhythm. It just doesn't click. Somehow it doesn't resonate with my psyche. Somehow it doesn't reach me on a deeper level to where it becomes addicting, where I can't stop listening to it because I can stop listening because I don't quite get it. But that's just me. There, there's something about her that I just can't connect with because she seems a little fake to me, if I can be completely candid, just from a distance. The other day, she, she's up in the box in Kansas City, and I don't know what their relationship is, if they've been able to hide it or whatever, but it seems like it's in its infancy. It seems like it's in very early stages, unless they've completely downloaded it. But it doesn't seem like that. It seems like this is fairly early, and she's up in the box just cheering her brains out because her whole life is on camera. It seems like she's acting more than she's real, but that's just me from a distance. So maybe that's somewhat of a turnoff for me. 
But I, I have to impress upon you, this has nothing to do with female singers because I have been big fan of many, many female soloists and groups, many, starting with my all-time favorite, if you will, the Go-Go's. D does anybody out there but me remember the Go-Go's? There was a big documentary on Showtime about them a couple of years back now. I was addicted to Belinda Carlisle, Jane Wheedland, Gina Shock, and the Go-Go's back through the 80s. Saw them in concert out here at the Hollywood Bowl in Dallas, a couple of times in Dallas. I mean, check them out if you don't know the Go-Go's because they are all time, all time to me. They will rock your socks off. I know Taylor's a little more poppy. This is, this is just sheer rock and roll. Raw emotion and energy turn to you, head over heels, our lips are sealed, skid marks on my heart. The Go-Go's are at the top of my list. But then we get to Solus and Whitney Houston, I will always love you. I, I've told you before, the Righteous Brothers Unchained Melody is my all-time favorite song. Well, this is close. It's, it's right in there. I, I just don't know if there's a more beautiful song out there than Whitney Houston singing, I Will Always Love You. And Barbara Streisand, I'm going way back, but you want to talk about Golden Throat? You want to talk about Pipes? Woo! And then I'm still going back, but just to give you the, the depth and breadth of my interest level, Back in the day, the Supremes and Diana Ross, they were it for me. They were it. Where did I love go? Baby love, come see about me. I could listen to it all night tonight and be thoroughly content. Even back before, the Ronettes, Ronnie Spector, Be My Baby. It's just sensational. Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders. Saw him in concert, Brass and Pocket, and Blondie. Blondie with Deborah Harry, close to the Go-Go's for me. If you haven't heard it, you should. It's better than Taylor Swift. Go, go listen to Heart of Glass. Go listen to Tide is High. Go listen to Atomic. Go, go listen to Rapture, song that's recorded in 1980 in Deborah Harry is rapping in this song. She is rapping in 1980. Check it out. Even recently, just because of the first John Wick, Kaleida got me. Song called Think, if you know Kaleida. So I, I have weird range with a lot of female soloists and groups. That are way beyond Taylor Swift. I know I might get a swift kick in the rear from the Swifties out there, but I'm just telling you the truth. Sorry, Trav. That is it for episode 82. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Angie and Jonathan Berger and their all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed, every week, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show every week.